0: It's always a great privilege to have you here, welcoming our visitors. Make sure you go back to the Visitor Center and get all of the the information we can to serve you and your family. We're doing a series right now called Kingdom Principles. Everybody say, Kingdom Principles. Thank you. Kingdom Principles is coming from Matthew 6, 33. Open up your Bibles there with me today, please. We're going to talk about how to live in the kingdom. My wife preached last week on the cross. If she did a good job, can we thank the Lord for her? Amen. I was so blessed and impressed with my wife. I was just looking at her going, that's why I married you, baby. Come on. Man, I heard her Saturday night preaching to the walls in our study up in our house. I could hear her through the door. She was preaching to the walls, man. And I went over to her. She said, I've already told Rachel the altar call song. I don't know if you guys remember. That was a powerful altar call song. And it was just powerful. And I knew that God was going to use her. Amen. Amen. So a kingdom principle, you learned last week, was the cross. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, and you're going to see where we're getting this from today. Jesus speaking here, he said, But seek first his kingdom, talking about God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Somebody say his kingdom. Thank you. God told us to seek first his kingdom. So before you seek first your job, before you seek first your kingdom, you are to seek first the kingdom of God. Now, what is the kingdom of God? It is the active rule of Jesus Christ in one's life. Everybody say King Jesus. Amen. So if you become a Christian, I want to give you a helpful hint here. You're in a kingdom, and it has a king, and guess what? You're not the king. Amen. You're not in charge anymore. When you were not a Christian, you could decide where you would go to college. You could decide who you were going to marry. And you and the devil would be BFFs. But once you switch over, you have a new master. And the Bible says you can't serve two masters. Amen. So don't come to church with King Jesus and date the devil on Friday. Amen. Don't be marrying the devil's one and then coming to church on Sunday saying, Pastor, pray for me. I'm all messed up. You're messed up because you were serving the wrong king. Now, we know here that there's a, you know, a little rivalry between the Cubs and the Sox. Does anybody like the Cubs here? Does anybody like the Sox here? Okay, but you know what? Before we start a civil war, you know, we have some sports that we can be together in. Even though they didn't do so well, how many dislike the Bears here? Can you make some noise? Okay. So Chicago could be unified with the Bears. Now, how many would be a little bit upset of game day uh, when the Bears were playing the Packers if Chicagoans came wearing a Packers jersey? You would say, man, you're in the wrong kingdom, baby. You're in the wrong place with that. Right now, some of us, we have switched kingdoms. We believe in Jesus. We know he's our Lord. But we're still wearing the devil's jersey. We're still going out in the world talking like the way they talk, acting like the way they act, spending our money the way they do. But we're saying we're serving King Jesus. And it seems hypocritical because people are looking at us going, you don't look like you're playing for the right team. So not only do you want to confess Jesus as your king, but you want to live for him every day. Obey his commands. Look at your neighbor and say, do it. So obey his commands. Now the principles. see that comes next, but seek first his kingdom. Seek first the act of rule of Jesus Christ in your life, and seek first his righteousness, which is doing things the right way. Now the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in death. How many of you have ever said to yourself, I think this is a good idea, then you did it, and it wasn't such a good idea. Okay, some of you, you ate something last night. You said, I want the nachos grande. That's a great idea. You woke up this morning, not so good idea. You know what I'm talking about. We have all these things. This happens to us all the time. We buy a car. Oh, you know, I have to have this car. And then you look at your budget. Oh, it's going to be a little close. Oh, but it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. When I When I drive in this car, I'll feel like a different person. And then three months go by driving that new car. It's boring to you now. But your budget is stretched. And you're saying, oh, man, I wish I would have just got the other one. We make wrong decisions all the time. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. But what he is saying is, seek my kingdom, seek me as king, and then do things my way. That means before you buy a car, ask the Lord, God, is this the car that you want me to have? Uh, God, is this the job you want me to have? Because I don't want to find myself in something that I eventually don't like, don't feel fulfilled in, and then blame you for it. That's what I see so often in churches. People come to me blaming God for things that they themselves did. Last time I checked, God didn't make you smoke a cigarette. Last time I checked, God didn't make you do those different things, marry the person you marry. God did not do those things. And if you look at, well, somebody hurt me. Well, God didn't make that person hurt you either. That was their choice. We have this thing called free will, and that means we can do things the right way or the wrong way. And if you want to be blessed, start doing things the right way. Everybody say righteousness. Praise God. If you don't get it, your neighbor will get it. Amen? Somebody's going to walk out of here saying, I want to be blessed. I want the kingdom of God. So the Bible says that to seek first the kingdom of God, that means the rule and reign of Christ in your heart as king, and seek first his righteousness, and then all these things will be added. What is all these things? Well, all the things you need in life. That's what he was just talking about. Read Matthew chapter 6. He's talking about the clothes you wear, talking about the foods you eat, the places you live. The Bible, he was saying right here, the pagans seek after those things first. What job am I going to have? Well, I'm going to start working on Sunday if i got to have my best job. Or, you know, what type of family do I want? Well, I might, I might as well marry the person that looks like the Cosmopolitan magazine. And the Bible says the pagans seek those things first. And then when they have them, they're not even happy. How many people know that sex just don't make you happy? Because there's a lot of married people having sex and they're not happy. It gets a little quiet when I preach like that, but that's true. So all these single people, I just gotta have sex, I gotta have sex, I gotta go out to a club tonight and have sex. There's a lot of people having sex tonight that aren't that night that aren't happy. So it's not just having sex, it's making love. And to make love, you gotta have a wife. Amen. I'll look at your neighbor and say, he went there. So instead of seeking things that don't satisfy, I mean, you know what it's like on payday. You've been excited. You've ran around the house when you got that bonus. But didn't that bonus eventually go away? Didn't that 62-inch TV eventually lose its luster? And what we realize is if we seek things, we're never happy. But if we seek God and his righteousness, all those things come to us and we're happy because God is in the midst of it. You see, I'm happy today with all the things that I have because I'm happy with the one thing, Jesus Christ, and my relationship with him. And that's what it means to live for God, is having the principles in everything you do that revolve around his kingdom. Can you say amen? Amen. Now, today we want to talk about the kingdom principle of grace and truth. So turn with me to John chapter 1, verse 14. Today's principle is going to be grace and and truth. So my agenda here is to help you know what is the difference between grace and truth and how to put them together and live a good life. Because if you'll know this principle, you'll do more things right. If you know what it means to have grace and if you know what it means to have truth, you will follow God in a brand new way today. John 1.14, when you're there, say, I'm there. Amen. Here is Jesus speaking once again through the Apostle John. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, speaking of Jesus, full of what? And what? Truth. Okay, he came from the Father full of grace and truth. Amen. We're going to do a little better when we get to that bold part down there, okay? All right, John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, this is now John the Baptist. What did he say? This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and came through Amen. Y'all getting it? No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. So Jesus, you're learning here, is equal to the Father and his deity. We believe in a triune God. That means God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It's not there's a God pie, and then you cut it into three pieces, and Jesus is just a piece of the pie. No, they are each equally God, and together in their nature, God, but separate as persons. You try to think of examples of this, it will blow your mind because it's deeper than examples. God can't be compared to anything. People have tried to call it water. It can be in liquid form, it can be in steam, and it can be in ice. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But God is all three at the same time. People have tried to compare it to an egg, which is the shell, the yolk, and then the white part. But yet they are all separate. The Bible says they are one being, but separate persons, all at the same time. And then you say, Well, I can't find an example on earth between an egg and an ice. And that's good because the Bible says, Who will you? compare me to on this earth no one not even in heaven i am god alone he says so what do we get our revelation of who god is are we playing mind tricks no we get our revelation of who god is from the bible you see a character a person when we say person homostasis in the greek it means a personality a mind a will we see a person known as the father in the old testament he deals with the people of israel the jewish people And then we see that he has a spirit, and he says, wherever my spirit is, fire by night, cloud by day, in the tabernacle, he says, there I am with you. So we see the Father and the Spirit. But yet in the Old Testament, we see this character called the messenger of the Lord. He shows up in the name of Yahweh, in the name of God, and people eat with him and talk with him, and yet he receives worship as God, which to worship anybody else would be an idolatrous, but he's not the Father or the Spirit. Who is that person in the Old Testament? John tells you, he is the Word, and he has been with God. And then when he came down to earth we knew him as jesus somebody say jesus before jesus was ever named jesus in mary's womb he was always the eternal word next to the father and the spirit a little bit of doctrine right there everybody go, that's deep but now that's not today's message in nature of christ though we will have one of those messages today's message can be found in verse 17 because it says the law came through moses but grace and truth came through jesus christ everybody say grace and truth Amen. Thank you. Look at this illustration here with me, please. See, the law was brought by Moses. We've seen the, the old movie with, you know, Charlton Heston, Moses and the Ten Commandments. He goes up to a mountain. God writes down these Ten Commandments on stones. But did you know that that was just the introduction or the summary of the law? Do you know that God then gave him over 613 laws? You say, I've never read those laws before. Look them up in Leviticus. Amen. Some of you say, I read that so I can go to bed at night. Shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. I do that. I was telling on myself. Thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt not plant two vegetables together. That's where we get those laws from. There were 613 laws that God gave Moses. The Ten Commandments was just the summary of those laws. Now where did most of those 613 laws apply to? They applied to the temple worship. That's why you have the book in your Bible named Leviticus, the priesthood of the Levites, the sons of Aaron, how they were to dress, what they were to do, how they were to come to the temple, how they were to perform sacrifices how the temple was to be built when you would bring sacrifices seven major jewish festivals like we have christmas and easter and if you only come on those two days we call you a priester they had a whole bunch of festivals they had passover they had the, the day that they would celebrate atonement somebody said the day of atonement somebody say Yom kippur Amen. Go home and find out which one that is. They had the Temple of Booze the day they celebrated coming out of Israel. Seven Jewish festivals. So most of the 613 commands given to Moses had to do with the temple. The Bible is teaching us that the law came to Moses. And for a time, these people had to live by this law. Everybody say the Old Testament. Now, if we were living by the Old Testament law, things would be mighty, mighty different right now, okay? We would be having to stone a whole lot of people. Amen. And how many are happy we're not living by that law right now? If you've ever been a rebellious child, you better shout really loud right now. Woo! I would have been stoned at about the age of 13. My mom would have picked up the first one, ran. <laughs> Take that, son. I'll make another one just like you. You could stone rebellious children, women caught in adultery. If you ever cheated on somebody, you would be stoned right now. That all gets quiet. Quiet. It's quiet when you preach like that, doesn't it? I want you all to see this right here. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. Paul, looking back at the Old Testament, summarizes the whole entire purpose of why they had 613 laws. Somebody say the law. Thank you. So the law had a purpose. Look at Galatians three nineteen. What then was the purpose of the law? Awesome, Paul. We want to know. It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. So why was the law given? It was added because of transgressions. Or another word for transgressions is sins. Everybody say sins. So because people were lying, men were lying with men like they would with a woman, there had to be a law against that. Because men were lying with an animal like they would lie with a woman, there had to be a law against that. Because people were cheating and robbing and stealing. There had to be a whole bunch of laws because people were that jacked up. Can you say, help us, Lord? Amen. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. So the Bible is saying here that this law that Moses was given, was given by a mediator so it was the people of israel on one side and god on the other side and the law the agreement bef- uh, between them was called the covenant everybody say the covenant amen a covenant is like where we get the word contract so there was a deal between man and god we call this the old covenant but for them it was the only covenant they knew and here's how it went you put your faith in me you do these things i will bless you and i will not kill you amen Don't get quiet. Come on. Somebody say amen. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 33 when you get time. He says, if you do these things, it's going to be a good day. If you don't, look out. Stuff is going to come your way. Hell from uh, hailstones. These types of things happened. Uh, The Bible says turning water into blood. Why? Because Pharaoh wasn't obeying the laws of God. Let's keep going. Verse 21. Is the law therefore opposed to God's promises? So God made promises to people, to Abraham. He came before Moses. And God said to Abraham, I want to bless the whole world. I want to love the whole world. I want to save the whole world. But then when the, uh, the law came to Moses, God said, I'll judge anybody who doesn't keep my law. And now uh, Paul is asking the question, well, is the law opposed to God's promises? Let's see. Absolutely not. Everybody say that. One, two, three. Absolutely not. So we see that even though God made promises to Abraham to save all the nations of the world, these laws to the Jewish nation does not mean God does not care like he did with Abraham. Continue reading. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness certainly would have come by the law. But the Scripture declares that the whole world, everybody say the whole world is a prisoner of sin. It's a prisoner of sin thank you so that what was promised being given through in jesus christ might be given to those who believe so what we see here is that the promises made to abraham couldn't be done by the world because they were slaves to their sin so the law had to come to help them realize where they keep breaking their part of the covenant and then jesus had to come fulfill that old covenant and start a new covenant if you're tracking say amen I'm going to summarize it in just a minute but I'm preaching while we're reading. Look at verse 23. Before this faith came, this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law. So before that Jesus came and fulfilled the law, everybody was doing their best to try not to covet, try not to steal, try not to disobey their parents, try not to, uh, to, to put something before God, do something on the Sabbath, but they kept failing. They were a prisoner to the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. Everybody say, locked up, they won't let me out. One more time, say, locked up, they won't let me out. See, you were locked up in sin, and you couldn't get out. You didn't know why you were doing the things you were doing. It's because you were born a sinner. I want to know somebody who taught Bethany how to be sneaky. I want to know who taught her that, because I know I didn't teach her that. I tell her, don't touch the remotes on the table. But all of a sudden, like, dun, 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 dun. All of a sudden, like, when I turn my head, she's crawling over, reaching up her hand right on top. Touch. And it's like, she'll, you know, like one time she, I was looking at her, like, are you really going to do that? And she, like, looked right at me, like, while she did, like, what are you going to do? I won't touch that. You know why? Because she's locked up. She doesn't know she's a sinner. So I got to slap her hands and go, I love you, but you're wrong, baby. You got to change. And the Bible says, spoil the rod and not the child. Amen praise God. It says, we were locked up until faith should come, verse 24. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. So what does the law do? When I tell you don't steal, what does that do? That makes you remember all the times you did, and it should bring you to Christ for forgiveness. When I tell you don't look after a woman lustfully, fellas, what does that do? I reminds you all the times you did, and it should bring you to Christ for forgiveness. So you were locked up, disobeying until Christ comes and sets you free. Somebody say, free! Amen. Shout it out like Braveheart. Freedom! Woo! Amen. Verse 25. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. We are free. So summarizing those points, why was the law added? Because of transgressions. The law was given to Moses because of transgressions. I have to rewind and bring it right back to you here it is i said the law was the old covenant given to moses but when jesus christ came there's a new covenant with grace and truth now you track it there we go so look at it like this as you get to your bible there was a promise given to abraham blood could keep the law perfectly. Come on. Somebody say, Jesus was perfect. And then he leads us to the new covenant. Somebody say, that's the introduction. I got to preach it real quick. I got about 15 minutes. I believe I can do it. Somebody say, I don't think so. (laughs) Y'all know it ain't happening. But by faith, John 1, 17, for the law was given through Moses. See, I told you all that so I could preach this message to you. The law was given by or through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What does that word grace mean in the Greek? Everybody say charis. Charis, it means the undeserved kindness of God. You don't deserve kindness. You deserve judgment for every wrong thing you've done against that law. I don't deserve kindness. Not only did I accidentally break the law. See, sometimes people say, I just fell into sin. Oops. (laughs) Oh, no, you didn't. No, 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 you didn't. You woke up one morning, you put on your Speedos, you put on your cap. You know, slapped it on. You walked. First you tested the water, made sure it was good. You walked all the way up to the diving board. You stood on the edge of the diving board, jumped up about three or four times, and jumped into that adultery. You jumped into that pornography. You jumped into that bad temper. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. You know some of us were walking and got hit on the head by sin. Some of you made a purposeful choice. I'll take as much as I can give. Thank you very much. Swan dive. Amen? Last time I checked, there's nobody going to a club with a ball and chain. I'm so upset they brought me here tonight. So upset. You know, come on. So undeserved kindness. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve grace. I don't deserve God to be kind to me. But Jesus came to give it to me. He came to give it to you. When he died on the cross, like Nancy talked about last week, he wasn't dying just because he loved us as a, as a good person, like I would die for you to hit, take a bullet for you. Jesus was actually doing something in the courts of heaven. In the courts of heaven, the gavel had already been slammed. Guilty. 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 And the verdict was death, separation, hell forever. And Jesus said, but Father, what if I take their punishment? It wasn't just a kind act. It was a judicial act so that now he can look at you and say you're forgiving. Because some of us think when we get to heaven, we're going to then make it right with God. Like now we're going to plead our case and go, "You you know, I didn't live for you down here, but let me make it right for you up here. For God to now forgive you aside from Christ would mean he's a corrupt judge. Let me give you the example. If somebody had committed murder, and now they come to the judge, and they say, now I want to do it right, now I want to do it right. If that judge just said, well, I just forgive you, just go about your way, no punishment, no punishment for your crime, would we say that's a good judge? What if that person murdered your daughter, murdered your husband or wife? You would say, no, judgment. And God could not just say to you, oh, you're just forgiven. Let's just forget about it like it never happened. No, God had to punish somebody. There had to be a judicial act of punishment. So after the judgment was given, death shall come to the human race. The day you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. When that happened, Jesus said, I'll take it for them. Why? So that now he can give us forgiveness and grace. And is it free for us? Yes, but it cost him everything. So don't take it cheaply. It costs Jesus everything. So when God says you're forgiven, you didn't deserve it, but I'll forgive you. He's doing it out of his great immense love. He's not saying your sins don't mean anything, and you can just ask for forgiveness today and go out and keep doing it. No, he's saying your sins put me on the cross, but I loved you enough to die for you so you could be forgiven. Look at your neighbor and say, it's grace, but it's not greasy grace. Look at your other neighbor and say, it's agape, but it ain't sloppy agape. God also gave you truth. Somebody say truth. This is Aletheia. Everybody say Aletheia. Thank you. Aletheia in the group means all facts pertaining to God and the duties of man, both moral and spiritual. So what is truth? It is all the facts pertaining to God and the duties of man, both moral and spiritual. So when Jesus came to this earth, he didn't come like Moses, just giving laws. No, he came like himself, giving grace, undeserved kindness. And he came to give us all the truth we needed for how to live with God and live with man. Can you say amen? Amen. Let's see how God gave us grace through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 19. This is how Jesus gave us grace. Everybody say, thank God for grace. Come on, somebody say it's amazing grace. Amen. How sweet the sound. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. Who blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. If Ephesians 1, if you're ever depressed, read Ephesians 1. It will put a pep back in your step. It will turn your frown upside down. Read what God did for you. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world. To be holy and blameless in His sight. In love. Everybody say, In love. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace. Everybody say, Grace. Say, It's glorious grace. Hallelujah. Which He has freely given us in the one whom He loves. Verse 7. In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His what? Come on again. Through His what? Blood, thank you, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's what? Grace. It's glorious grace and it's rich grace that he has lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and earth. Under who? Christ. So when he came, he said, I'm going to fulfill everything moses and his people couldn't do you were just getting held over in first grade you were 18 years old on the starting lineup for your first grade basketball team you couldn't even get it right not only could you not get the 613 right you couldn't get the 10 right most of you couldn't even get one right thou shalt not covet are you listening to me and jesus said hey you stop taking the test you done blown this thing up so much i'm going to come down and pass it live it perfectly and then every fail mark every demerit you got i'll take it from the father because I got glorious, rich grace, and i 'm going to lavish it on a people i 'm so glad Jesus lavished his rich, glorious grace on me through his what through his what, through his blood, help the preacher preach. now, how did truth come john eight thirty one through thirty two How did he bring me truth? because he brought me grace, but how did he also bring me truth? John also continues, to the Jews who have believed in him. How many people believe in Jesus? Say amen. Amen to the Jews that believed in him. If you believe, he's speaking to you. If you hold to my teaching, everybody say teaching. You are really my disciples, then you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you. Praise God, how does somebody get free? You've got to know the truth. And where does the truth come from? Jesus Christ's teachings. So we do we just go, whoopee, there's no more laws. I am, am forgiven. I can do whatever I want. No, no, no. Hold up, Bubba. Look at your neighbor and say, we're talking to Bubba now. Say, you already knew this, right? See, but Bubba might be thinking, well, I'm all good. I got grace, and it's a little greasy, and I got agape, and it's a little sloppy. So I'm just going to live however I want because I'm forgiven. Well, hold up a minute. The Bible says that he gave you truth, and the truth comes from his teachings, and it will set you free. There is nothing sadder than to see a a prisoner in prison when they've already been set free. Oh, y'all didn't hear me. I say there's nothing sadder than to see somebody still locked up when somebody already gave you the key and opened up the gate. You see, if I went right now to a jail, opened up the gate, and said, y'all, free, price has been paid, they wouldn't stand there. If I said to you right now, everybody bring up your credit card. Church is paying the bills. You're free from your debt. Bring up your mortgage. We're paying it all today. How many of you would just say, no, you know what? I just kind of like my mortgage. I like my credit card debt. I'm just going to keep it. And we have the chance to be free. But yet we as Christians, we still live like we're in that old kingdom because we don't have the principles yet. We were not just forgiven of our sins. We were given the power not to sin. We were taught how not to keep doing the same thing over and over again. I don't just want to be forgiven from pornography. I want the truth to be set free from pornography. I just don't want to be forgiven when I lose my temper and kick the dog, amen, like I did when I was a dirty sinner. I want to be able to control my temper and not kick a dog so I can be your pastor and not scare you. Amen? Yes, I did. I kicked dogs. I put my foot through walls. I punched up. Some of you men looking at me, you know you had a bad temper like me. Some of you men got in fights with people. I just don't want God just to forgive me. I want to be changed. I want to be free from all this junk in my trunk. Can you say amen? And so today, what are we learning? Is that there came a law through Moses, but through Jesus Christ, there came grace and there came truth. So that means today, by his blood, there is forgiveness of sin. Have you sinned? Yes, you have. Keep it real. Don't lie. Don't try to be religious. I'm a good person. Let's take the good person test right now. Are you ready? Have you ever told a lie one time in your life? Yes. And don't lie now because you're already lying again. Okay, so you fail there. Let's take another one. The Bible says do not lust after the opposite sex and desire to be intimate with them. Have you ever done that? Desired to have sex with somebody you weren't married to? You already did that. Did you ever covet? Did you ever want what somebody else had? You already did that. How about this? Did you ever disobey your parents? Yes, you did that. Did you ever do something on the day of church and not honor the Lord but went out and did something else like go to the mall or go work? Yes, you did. You didn't honor the Sabbath. My friend, that's only five out of the ten. So according to God's judgment today, you're a lying, thief, adulterer, covetousness, coveter. And you think you're going to go to heaven on the good person test? Look at your neighbor and say, uh-uh, honey. And if they're a dude, say, uh uh-uh, dude. Ain't nobody getting in. You need grace. Everybody say, thank God for grace. And then the truth is his teachings. Now, to give you the principle and application form, I want you to apply it. Open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. I always like to give a portion of the message where you have to open up your Bibles. The karaoke screen can't help you anymore. All those that didn't bring your Bible, everybody look at them right now. Just make them feel awkward. <laughs> they'll, they'll never do that again. I promise, Pastor, I'll bring it next time. First John chapter 1. Here's a lesson in grace today. First John chapter 1, verse 8 through 9. Let's see how this principle works out. Everybody say grace and truth. You're going to see how it works out. Look at John, first John chapter 1, verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the what is not in us. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. It will purify us of our sins and all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in us. Everybody say grace. So if I say today I have no sin, I'm lying, I don't have the truth. But if I admit today that I've sinned, then the Bible says because of his blood, there'll be forgiveness to my life. How many need grace? Can you say amen? So you see that's the first pillar, the foundation, grace. There's forgiveness. Now keep reading on the chapter 2. Remember, the original Bible had no chapters. We put it in there to make it easier for you to follow us as preachers. Chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you that you will not sin. Well, hold on, Pastor. I thought if I went to the priest, I could keep on sinning because I got a get out of jail free card. No, you missed the whole thing. You got some greasy grace then. You got some sloppy agape. You don't have grace with truth. You see, just saying I'm going to keep sinning because I can be forgiven is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, I write this to you, that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Amen, Pastor, I know that. Now look at verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his Oh, keep it real, y'all. We know we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Verse 4, the man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a, and the truth is not in him. You see, there you go. Yes, there's grace and forgiveness for every single one of your sins. But the truth is, God wants you to stop sinning. There is grace for every one of your sins. But the truth is, God wants you to stop sinning. Do you see the principle? Do you see the principle? This is a principle to live by. There is grace and forgiveness for your mistakes and my mistakes, but God wants to give you the truth not to keep doing them. How many times do you think my wife would give me grace if I cheat on her? Maybe the first time after I got something cut off. Hello? You're never cheating on me again, Bubba. Let's keep it real. Some women would feel like that. Come on. Now, how about if I did it again? How about if I did it again? How many times do you think my wife is just going to say, well, it's okay. You come back home. Well, you just And then, and then I just begin to kind of flaunt it like they do on TV, Jerry Springer, you know. Hey, everybody, I want you to meet my wife, Nancy, and this is my girlfriend, Barbara, right here. How long do you think that would work? Why is it we think it any differently than God? You see, because in our minds, we think that God's grace is different. God's grace is undeserved kindness. But if it's not balanced out with truth, it is no grace. It's a make-believe imagination you've made up. Somebody would say, well, my God wouldn't judge me. You're right, your God wouldn't judge you because he doesn't exist. He's make-believe. He's up there with the uh, the fairy godmother and the tooth fairy because the God of the Bible will judge your sin. If you don't believe it, say, show me, pastor. Some of you said it, you made me do it, you done did it now. Go to Hebrews chapter 10, chapter 10, verse 26. Go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, and God has given me grace to preach this to you. I only got a few more moments left. Hang in with me. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 is going to blow your mind today on what it takes to serve God in a way that pleases him. Hebrews 10, 26, if you're there, say I'm there. That's why I'd like to have your own Bible so you know I'm telling you the truth here. Verse 26, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth. Somebody read it out loud. Come on. No. But what? Verse 27 Come on, let's keep it real for a minute. Do not play with God. Will he forgive you? That is grace. The truth is, do not continue in your sin. Do not continue in your sin. There should be a moment when you were saved, you became a new creation, and we're seeing you become free. You should be able to look at your life and say, yeah, I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven, and God is changing me. I don't curse and steal and chew and do the things I used to do. That's how they used to say it back then. I don't curse and steal and chew and do the things I used to do. You should be able to look back at your life and say, Hey, I'm not perfect, but I'm on my way there. I'm on my way there. I'm on my way there. Every step I take, I'm getting closer to Jesus Christ. If you fall down, get back up. Don't wallow in your sin. Don't make an excuse for it. Live holy before a holy God. Amen? And the good news is, as there's grace, and the way I like to look at it is imagine if you were on a tightrope and you were walking on that tightrope and you were saying, man, I'm going to go from point A to point B. You say, yeah, I'm going to walk on that thing. That tightrope will keep you. That tightrope is there to help you. And if you fall, there might be a net there. But let's say you want to start doing some diving practice on there. You start jumping on that tightrope. You start diving headlong into that net. After a certain point, that net breaks. Because it wasn't meant to keep you as you intentionally keep falling. It was meant to help you when you fell, not to keep you in the idea of falling. Now, I'm not here to scare some of you. Well, Pastor, maybe I can't be forgiven anymore. No, God can forgive all sin. God can forgive a backslider. God doesn't want you to go to hell. But remember the principle. There's grace and there's truth. Can you say amen? Now let's go to relationships Luke chapter uh, four, uh, 17 verse 4. Now here instead of dealing just with sin, let's deal with people in our life because sometimes you got to have a whole lot of grace for people in your life. Amen. You know you got to have grace with people. You know you got to forgive them. But sometimes you got to tell them the truth. You got to tell them as is, as it is. Amen. Look at Luke chapter 17 and see the principle that God gave us in dealing with your friends. You don't have to be fake, and you don't have to be mean. You can have grace and truth. Start in, uh, start in chapter 17. Let's move up here to uh, verse 3. So watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, do what? See, isn't that tight but right? Amen. Keep going. Verse 4. If he sins against you seven times in a day, seven times come back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. And then now what did the disciples say in verse 5? The apostles said to him, Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> Lord, I'm going to need some help forgiving. That first time, I'm going to get the spirit to slap, amen. Don't ever do that. Or the five-fold ministry, I'm going to bless you right now. I'm going to bless you right now, brother. It gets quiet when a pastor confesses like that, doesn't it? Everybody's like scared, like a little sheep, you know, like a little shaking in the sheepfold right now. I have a big poster. When I do counseling right over where you sit, it says, Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And sometimes when I'm just, you know, counseling, I just have to look up there and just remind myself. Just stretch forth your hand and say, help him, Lord. But what does the Bible teach us in relationships? If somebody sins, rebuke them. If somebody lies to you, say, hey, man, did you lie? Oh, yeah, I did. Okay, man, Dude, don't do that again. You're wrong. Or you can do the spiritual word and go, I rebuke you. Some of you want you know you could say those words or you could just say you know in our English language which is don't lie to me again you know and if they say I'm sorry forgive them and then here you get this understanding that they have like this limitless ability to ask for forgiveness seven times seven unamount uh, you know just this unlimited amount of ability now you might say to yourself pastor doesn't that contradict what you just told me and here's the principle the principle is you got to forgive everybody the truth is you don't have to hang out with everybody. everybody. Everybody, oh, it gets quiet. Come on, preach with me, y'all. Man, I'll forgive you a hundred times, but man, if you keep stealing my wallet, I'm not hanging out with you anymore. Hey, man, if you keep... Well, Pastor, you know we go out to dinner. Pastor, man, I forgot my wallet this time. You got my bag. You know we do that about five or ten times, Jack. We're not going out to dinner anymore. Amen. You're gonna show me the money. Show me. I used to go out with people like that in the youth group. The youth like to play those little games with youth leaders. Shucks, I just don't have my wallet on me, Pastor. I thought I had it. I learned that one quick, Pastor Adam. Would you all stand up to your feet with me today? If you thank the Lord for grace and truth, can you give him a hand clap of praise today? We thank you, Jesus. Amen. As you're standing to your feet, I know you can also take notes. Write these things down as a way to balance out your life. You don't just want one without the other. Look at it as a balance. If you have too little of grace, you'll have legalism. Meaning if all I do in your life is just keep, you know, rebuking you, but I never give you grace, it becomes legalistic and you don't feel the love. Because husbands and wives, sometimes you know how it's like you got to forgive each other a hundred times a day. And if you don't, then it becomes really bad. So if, if you remove grace out of relationships and all you have is, this is the truth, this is the truth you get that real legalistic feeling and that real tense feeling. If you have too much of grace, you kind of get that understanding that people are just going to take advantage of you, right? You ever felt that, like people are taking advantage of you? Do you notice that Jesus was nice to homeless people, but he didn't go out and buy them a new pony? How many people you think were asking, Hey, Jesus, here's the king of the Jews. Buy me a new pony, Jesus. Why didn't Jesus buy everybody a new pony? Because Jesus wasn't going to be taken advantage of. Okay, if, if you're just one of these Bambi-type people, people take advantage of you, you need to get a little truth in your backbone, amen? You need to know how to say things that are right and wrong and tell people no and, and mean it. So, so if you take grace out of a relationship or out of your life, you'll become legalistic. You'll become a mean-spirited person. You'll want to judge people all the time. If, if you have too much grace, you might be taken advantage of, or you yourself might say, I can just sin however I want. Or, and then when you look at truth, if you have too literal of truth, you're just immature. Well, oh, God loves me. I'm forgiven. Okay, you know, I'm going to work on this. You know what I'm saying? I've, I literally promise you I was a little naive when I first started preaching, okay? I remember going to my friend's house. When we, they used to smoke weed. That's how we lived. And I remember going to his house, and literally he was like this. Yeah, dude, I love Jesus, man. <laughs> yeah. Me and Jesus, man, I go all the time, man, all the time to church. I'm so serious. We'll be in Mardi Gras the first week of March. There will be dude with obscene necklaces on, drunk as can be, holding a beer. We'll be preaching, God is this, God is this. You go, Amen, brother, I love Jesus, I love him. And we're like, No, you are a liar. You are a liar because you say you love Him, but you don't keep His commandments. I actually had it to Adam, would you come, please? I think Rachel is occupied. I-, I saw one time a preacher actually do that to me. Band, just come. I don't know if you heard me say it. Yeah, come, Rachel. Band. Let's give it up as the band comes. Amen. Cover the awkward moment. There they come. When I was out at Margot, a guy actually did that. He's like, amen. Amen. And I was like, dude, you are a liar. You are out here in the most disgusting, women showing their nudity for beads. It's disgusting. It's like Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, the homosexual community doing things that I won't even say from this pulpit. And yet there are people going, I'm having fun. I love Jesus. And I said to this one gentleman, I said, man, you are a liar. The Bible calls you a liar. How can you judge me? Dude, you have women's panties around your neck. You're holding on to a martini glass the size of a vase. And you've got a weed necklace on your shirt. I'm not sure, Locke Holmes, but I'm pretty sure you're not living for Jesus. Okay, man, that's that's kind of real, dude. That's real, man. I'm like, you're lying if you think God is cool. But I can be forgiven. I, and I said, yes, you can. But you've got to accept it and then live like it. Live like you've been free, man. Free people don't hang out in jail cells. If I'm free, you don't see me behind bars. Live like it. And literally, he threw down his thing right onto the floor. He fell on his knees and the floor is like, the ground is like half puke, half alcohol. You're, It's disgusting. He fell right to his knees and started raising his hands and he said, just pray for me. And tears came down his eyes he got up off of the ground as sober as I was sober and began to testify that his dad was a preacher. He was hurt by the church. He came out here to forget about his problems, but he was glad somebody not only gave him grace, but gave him the truth that could set him free. Praise God. Lord, keep him saved wherever he is. And then if you have too much truth, you become judgmental. So many times when we're not mature, immature, we become mature in the things of God, and then we really become harsh towards people. I went through a season of that in my Christianity where I, you know, you want to tell people if they sin, you got to rebuke them. Jesus said it, right? You know, but I actually, I, I was really mean, man. Glenn will tell you, I literally rebuked him for a half hour for watching college football. That's how bad I was. I, was, I didn't watch TV for eight years. Look at your neighbor and go, weirdy. <laughs> i didn't watch tv for eight years no movies no tv and i remember brother glenn going dude i mean i watch football games and i'm like you should be praying you should be doing this and you notice that when you're rebuking people like that the bible calls this the plank eye syndrome the brother has a speck in their eye you got this big old plank in yours and you're trying to help him take out his speck look at your neighbor and say don't be a plank guy I went through a season like that. Don't be judgmental. And this is what I think it looks like. Somebody say lemonade. I am all into lemonade right now. I am into this, like, weird thing. I don't know, because of the blizzard, I wanted something sweet and tangy. I don't know. But I started making homemade lemonade. And I found out that there's three components to lemonade. There is sugar, there is lemons, and water. That's it. That's why a dude like me can make it. Amen. And you know what I began to look at? Because some people say, well, you know, you know, you get too much grace, you get too much truth. You know, how do you look at it? When I make lemonade, it asks for a portion of sugar, and it asks for a portion of lemons, and it asks for a portion of water. If I give each one of those portions 100%, 100% of of sugar, you know, if they ask for a three-fourth cup, I don't give it a half a cup. I give it a three-fourth cup. Are you all tracking with me? When I give it in each area, it comes out perfect. When I put too much of the lemons, what does it do? It becomes tart. When I put too much of the sugar, it becomes what? Too sweet. When I put too much water, it becomes what? Water down. And then not enough water, it becomes gooey and it's unedible. That's what God is saying he wants your life to be like. So that when you take it up, it's just the perfect blend of grace and truth mixed by the spirit. Your family will love you for it. Your co-workers will learn things from you as you're graciously teaching them. Husbands and wives will get along better because it's grace and truth. You'll function in this church. You'll feel like you're a part of the family because you're just moving in grace and truth. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for making lemonade in our hearts today. Lord, take the grace and truth with the spirit and mix it up today so that our lives please you. Altar workers are going to come forward just with every head bowed and eyes closed. We're going to sing a song in closing today. Before you go, let us sing this song together. And as we're going to sing this song, altar workers will be here because you may need prayer in one of those two areas. Today you may be struggling in sin, and you might need some grace to be on your life. And today we welcome you to come. These are not your priests. They're just your friends who will pray with you. And teach you how to receive grace. Every head bowed and eyes closed. I'm just going to pray for those who need grace in this room. God, I thank you for bringing them here today. God, though their sins may be great, your grace is even greater. God, though they think they may not be able to change or there's things going on that they don't know how they'll ever stop. God, your grace is more powerful than any sin, addiction, or temptation in their life. Lord, I thank you for bringing them here today. You came to the world to die for sinners. And I pray, Father, that those who need grace will come. If that's you right now, just as the band begins to sing, would you just come and receive grace today? As we sing this song today, just come. Falling on every face. Who else today needs grace? Pornography, adultery, lying, stealing saying things out of anger treating people bad drugs alcohol disobedient to your parents rebellious whoever you are and if there's already prayer workers praying just stand behind them we'll get to you today would you sing this song with us saints as we're praying for them Hallelujah. Freedom reigns in this place.
1: They are falling.
0: As those who are up here being prayed for, do not stop. Keep praying. I want to pray to those remaining in their seats. Keep praying at these altars. Don't be in a hurry. But those at your seats, you may be saying, Pastor, You know, I'm doing good. I know what I need to do. When I mess up, I make it right. I really, you know, strive for what God is saying. But, you know, sometimes I feel like I judge myself too hard. I feel like sometimes, I, you know, I feel like I condemn myself or I feel like I'm not as good as other Christians. I just want you, wherever you are right now, to receive the right amount of truth. I know so many Christians that get discouraged. They'll hear a message like this and say, man, I'm just not good enough. I'm just not good. Don't take it that way. If that's you, I know so many people deal with that condemnation, guilt. I want you just to raise your hands and just say, there is no guilt. There is no condemnation. Jesus loves me. And just begin to thank him. And I'm going to pray for you today that you'll have the right amount of truth. That you'll also believe the parts of the Bible that says if you fall seven times, he will pick you up. And that if you feel like you're judging people, the Bible says to judge not lest ye be judged. To give grace to people. So with your hands raised, just say Jesus right now. Give me grace to love myself, to not give up, to not be so hard on myself. Lord, I pray for these right now. I used to be one of those. God, whoever they are in this room, God, I used to be just like them. I was my own worst enemy, putting myself down, judging others wrongly. Lord, I pray today that they'll have the right amount of truth, the right amount of truth, the truth that they'll know, yes, if I sin, it's wrong, but I'm forgiven, it's in the past, and I can step out of the past into my future. Let's sing it again. Keep praying up at these altars, and let this word minister to you. Falling on you. Jesus. Forgiveness. Love. Grace. Mercy. One more time, and then where the Spirit of the Lord is. Freedom reigns in this place. No condemnation or bondage today. No condo bondo. There is forgiveness. And one last prayer before we go. If you're in this place and you're saying, now I want to know the truth. I want to know how to live free. There are small group leaders here that want to invite you to their home. They want to disciple you. They're going to be at that visitor center. I'm just going to pray right now that you're going to make an effort to be taught the teachings of Jesus. You really want to follow Jesus? Then let somebody teach you. I had somebody teach me. That's why I am a teacher. You can't do it by yourself. I'm going to pray for those that came and received grace, but you know you need His teachings. Lord, I pray that we'll all join small groups, that we'll find mentors, people we can love and respect, that we'll allow to teach us. I pray for every person here to be willing to be taught the things of God, to be taught what right and wrong is, so that they'll know how to raise their family, that they'll know how to be on the job what to be like with their parents, those that are youth. God, that will be the church you want us to be. I pray for an increase of discipleship. One last time we're going to sing this and then we'll dismiss. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Come on, if you're already prayed for this, raise your hands and say, freedom reigns in this place. Is it for you and the Lord who shall know the truth will be set free? Yes, there is freedom for you and I every day. of mercy and
1: grace
0: falling There is freedom. Adam, would you pray a prayer of dismissal? Just believing God that we'll have that sweet lemonade balanced with grace and truth in the Spirit of God all the days of our life.
1: Yes, God, Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit, Father, which gives us this thing, Father, and you give it to us freely. Father, I pray that when we leave this place, Father, it doesn't just become some good word, but, Father, we would apply it to our life, Father God, back in our homes, back in our, our families, back at our jobs, Father God, so people can see the light. Father, I pray for grace to increase in our lives, Father. God, that which you gave us so freely may abound in our lives, Father. God, in truth, God, knowing your word, Father, you want us to be set free from this this life of sin, Father, from the addictions and things in our life that keep us away from you, Father. Lord, we pray, Father, that you strengthen your people, Father, and your people will be a light into this city, into this nation. And in Jesus' name we pray.
0: Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Slap your neighbor high five and say grace and truth. God bless you. Keep worshiping or hit the cafe. We love you. We'll see you next week.